The woman you are about to meet has been helping women kickstart their career transitions for decades. Hi, this is Candy Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. She's a certified professional coach, a seminar leader, speaker, and author who has been recognized as a top 10 executive coach by Women's Business Boston. She's the co-founder and the managing partner of the career consulting team, Kickstart Your Transition. And she's also been a valued friend and a mentor to me for many years. The website, kickstartyourtransition.com. Check it out. Her name, Maureen Wisner, and this is her story. Maureen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Candy, it's great to be here. You know, we've been cooking this up for a long time, and I'm so glad you're finally here. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about Kickstart Your Transition. What do you do for your clients? Clients come to us when they are in some sort of transition. That can be the best phone call, the worst phone call they got, job change, unsure what's happening next, don't like what they're doing, but they're not sure what their next steps are going to be. There's gray divorce, individuals who are empty nesters, life-changing events that put you in a situation where there's an opportunity to either you're in crisis and looking for clarity, which hopefully is what we provide, but they're in that space where they are open to change and consider what next steps are. But they need guidance around what it is because it can be a very scary place. Even if you embrace it fully, when change comes at you, it's hard. It's hard. And we help individuals, my business partner and I work with all the pieces for this, whether it's salary negotiation, interview prep, CV or resume preparation, the whole package, and getting individuals ready for prime time. You know, there's nothing like having an objective third party as well, somebody who can look at your situation with a fresh set of eyes. The word kickstart, though, for me is the key, because in order to create change, you've got to make a decision to put passion, purpose and energy into it. And like you said, that's scary. It's scary when your modus of operations, if you will, is to push and to make things happen. And when there's a challenge That's been your behavior. But sometimes pivoting is what happens. Sometimes that door that you're trying to push or kick open isn't really the door or the pathway that's designed for you. And it's really impossible to know at the time because it feels uncomfortable. I just read something not that long ago. It was the University of London had a study about change and the amount of time that it takes typically. And the assumption is that it's 21 to 30 days to create change. But the reality is it's closer to 66 days. So when we are changing what we do, and rather than breaking a habit, creating new habits, different ways to do things, and we tell our clients, most important is get dressed, get up, and get out. You are a certified executive coach. What would you say is the number one reason your clients come to you for help? Oftentimes it's boredom in a place that they've been active but not active enough not learning enough, looking for next steps, but I've trained to be a fill in the blanks. Oftentimes we have attorneys. Yes, there are attorneys who are not happy with the choice of career because someone said, yo, you're not a math science person. So, and you argue. And these are pieces of information that we take in as children. And it could have been from a teacher. It could have been from a parent. It could have been in in any circumstance. So that, well, that leaves, hmm, what should I do? Well, I'll go to law school because I'll always be an attorney. And that gives me a title. And that gives me gravitas. And you may find that, indeed, thinking like a lawyer may be a good fit for you. But in the reality of choosing the 
kind of law that you practice, it may not be the best fit. But how can you take that skill set and transfer it to something else? And if you can only see what you've done forever, it's very hard to see how you can do something else with a skill set and expand it and be different, be bigger, and be more informed. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about childhood. And one of the things that I've run into as a communications coach is somebody says something Mm. to somebody early on in their life. I'll give you an example. One of my clients was told, you mumble. Why don't you open your mouth? You mumble. I can't understand what you're saying. Mm. And this particular person spent the whole rest of her life thinking she mumbled Mm. and thinking that she was widely misunderstood. And so I'm guessing that those seeds that get planted early on still affect us. When you look at these clients as an executive coach, even at 50 years old, these little ghosts are still in the closet. Those ghosts can come out and those muscles have been active and working long and hard. So when somebody else gives us a perspective and and when we understand those things that are easy for us, aren't easy for everyone else, something that we have a talent for, we have a knack for, something that we're good at, how we've influenced the commitment we've made, the influence that we've had on other individuals. When somebody tells you and suddenly you're shocked that that was informative for me because I hadn't heard that before, it's wonderful for clients when they have that aha moment. Let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's turn it around. What is worst case scenario? What can happen if? And what if, hard, if you've always been somebody who has hit your numbers, you have always pursued a career path that is pretty straightforward, making left turns and right turns, not so easy. You know, you were talking about pivoting, and I'm thinking now about re-entry. What about women who decided they were going to leave a really big job and take X years to stay home and take care of their children, and now they're re-entering into a very technology-savvy world that they might not be ready for? Confusing. And for many women, in particular, we're talking about, and again, this is not based on gender alone, but many people who are reentering the workforce because they have been taking care of children, and it may be as a result of divorce. So then you have the financial issues that come with that. So how do you approach that? Where do you start? Well, there are things that are, there externships for adults where there are some organizations, and particularly in financials, where there's a way that you can get back into it. Of course, you can do certifications online. And the advantage, if you will, what has opened the door, the silver lining of COVID, if you will, is that there's opportunity for us to really learn, to explore, to do a lot of communicating online, to build relationships. For individuals that don't have a LinkedIn profile, which is a professional profile, as you and I both know, you really have to maintain it, keep it up to date, make sure that your headshot is on point. It's important to be up to date on what you did and who is a good connection. Who did you go to school with? What are things that interest you? So if you have the time, and there are two things here. One is crisis, where there's a time frame, and we're talking about putting food on the table, which is very different than I have the leisure to take a break from, or I have the economic stability to take a break from, and I can do some exploration. I can do a deep dive. I can look at career assessments. I can look at what I really am good at and what other opportunities there are. And do I have to do it in this one place or can I do something remotely, which opens up the world for many people? Let's talk about your education. Where did you go to school and where did you receive your coaching certification? Ah, School, uh, Queens College. 
City University Notice of New- how she says Queens College. Queens College. City University of New York, lived at home, worked two jobs. So it's a different kind of education. I always knew that I wanted to teach. That was number one on my list. The mentors that I had as a child, incredible women, and then later on men in middle and junior high at that time and high school. But I always knew that I wanted to teach. That was a priority. And Queens College offered the best education programs. So went through that. And oh, what a surprise. There are no teaching jobs. I think I applied to hundreds of teaching jobs when I graduated. And still in New York City, you needed a master's degree within five years. So enrolled in a master's program in reading remediation. I said, this is what I want to do. And continued with that and realized the job opportunities simply weren't there. So what do you do? You pivot and you take the jobs that are available. And what you learn from that is maybe what you thought was your singular goal perhaps in that environment isn't, but the elements of that can be used in other ways. So a lot of learning and continue on from there. I'm noticing a real shift in mindset about work in general. Mm -hmm. Generations entering the workplace want, and they actually demand, a very different experience. As you are coaching for Kickstart, are you seeing this maybe in your younger clients? What's your perspective? Well, the perspective is interesting. So for emerging professionals, they are looking at, it's not a distorted view. It's a view that they have, for many of them, gone through school or emerged from school during COVID. So that their experience working remotely and working in a different environment rather than I'm going someplace to do work rather than I can do work anywhere that I am. And what does that look like? Do I always want to be remote? But what happens, and as, as you and I both know, the face-to-face interactions are still very important. When we're still talking about promotions, when we're talking about prospecting, when we're talking about if I see you, and it's the human condition, we need to see faces. Do we need to do it full-time? Do we need to do it plus a commute? No, there's, there is a case certainly to be made for people who can be effective and work in different environments. One of the most challenging pieces right now is for young people who have not had that exposure to see that the importance of being around other people rather than running in the other direction and saying, this is my stone wall and I am not going beyond it. And you can't, the only thing you can offer me is more of that because I want to do less of this. Does it mean that they're less productive? This is all to be advised because the landmarks that managers and leaders used previously was, if I can see you, I can see what you're doing. That doesn't mean that you weren't playing solitaire for a good part of the time that you were at work or that you were doing other things that weren't related to actually taking care of the task. So it's a reorientation in many, many ways. Is hybrid work going to be the future? It sounds like that's the direction that most companies are going in. The problem for many companies, of course, is if everybody wants to be in the space on Tuesday and Wednesday, what happens to the other days? And if I'm the employer and I also have the risks of all of the things that go with a brick-and-mortar establishment, I have overhead, I have insurance, I have funding your retirement, funding your 401k. How do I look at this? And what I'm also listening to as an employer is the lazy girl or quietly quitting or Mondays where I am taking Monday off basically because I don't want to be anxious on Sunday. So where does this reorientation come from? It's not magical. When we can take boomers to Gen Z plus and we can incorporate our skill set and we can have I don't even want to say it's a level of kindness, but I think it's a measure of generosity where we can say, this is the perspective I'm coming from. Am I going to be glued to that place? Is there not a way that I can create some more flexibility for myself? Can I look at my own talents and strengths? How can I be a resource and how can I look to others to be resources and mentors? But most of it for all of us is based on fear. Fear is the greatest killer of confidence that there is. 100%. 
one of the offerings that you provide at Kickstart is salary negotiation. Ah. Can you give our listeners just a quick tutorial on how to negotiate a raise? Is it as simple as don't throw out the first number? Yes, and that's absolutely so. The other part is coming prepared, prepared for the contribution that you've made, prepared for where you think your place is. This is not just a question of I'm going to throw this out and now I expect you to say yes or no. And if you say no, then what does that mean? That puts me back in square one. So it's what is my goal in the organization? Is it a new title? Is it another opportunity? There may be budgetary constraints that you're not aware of. How can I create another way to benefit or how can I be the person to take me to the next level? What is a skill that may be missing or may need to be refined? So let's look at this together. Women in the workplace, this has been a lot like climbing a mountain Mm. for so many of Mm. us, especially the road to the C-suite, because the funnel gets more and more narrow in the corner office. Give me your view of how far we've come and where we still need to go. Have we come a long way? Yes. Is there a long way to go? Yes. Is there a way that we can help each other? Of course. I hate to hear when women say, I hate working with other women. They're the worst. I would rather work with men. Let's dial that back and say, truly, how can we surround ourselves with and pay attention to how we present, how we talk about other women, how we think about ourselves, how are we judging, versus where can we be in a place where we can support each other and listen to goals? You are a product of the five people that you spend the most time with. So when you spend your time with people who are achievers, who are people who have many things in common, but not so much that you are rubber stamps of each other, that you have different skill sets, and you can not only advise, but contribute and act as a resource without being judgmental and without it going beyond and becoming a source of conversation for someone else. Our childhood, our early years on this earth define us in so many ways. Mm. You've already displayed a little bit of your New York accent, but can Uh, you tell us where you come from and what was life like in your house? Ah, well, I grew up in Queens, Queensville to be exact, and the complex that I lived in, garden apartments, I think it was 1,700 youngsters within an age range. So you could run the streets, you could be anywhere, which was not even the confines of the community, but it was a loving, wonderful community where I learned very early, as did most people, as an only child, you're looking at what other families are like. There are built-in friendships. People are out on the time. And there are, talk about a community raising children. Everyone was looking at everyone else. I can't even tell you recalling seeing a police car or any contretemps, if you will, in the neighborhood. Education was important. We were back in the, and I don't even want to say back in the day, but at a time when classroom size was 36 to 38 students and they were homogeneous groupings and there were six classes in each grade and you were prepared. You were prepared when you went to school. There was a lot of community pressure to succeed. There was individual pressure. Education was, for most of us, a priority. Was that the priority in your house? Every house has, you know, this is how we're going to be in our family. Was it education? Was it faith? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, interesting. My mother, unfortunately, became ill when I was nine and 11 passed away. And it was, it was a terrible cancer. It was a terrible time. And my father was, became a single parent. And he worked for the post office. He commuted to Manhattan every day, left the house at 4.30 in the morning. And I was, talk about an original, a latchkey kid. There was no choice. That was it. Get yourself up. But Mrs. Friedlander, who lived in a building behind us, 
would look to see if the dining room blinds were open every morning. And if they weren't, I got a phone call. So this was, and my neighbors, neighborhood that raised you, the neighborhood that raised me, absolutely, hundred percent. And the kindness of people and the ability to just knock on a door. My neighbors had my key. People did look out for each other. It was a remarkable place to grow up. You know, you and me both, I lost my mom when I was a teenager. And it really does leave some puzzle pieces missing. You're not fully cooked when your mom's not there to help raise you. What did you learn about being self-reliant at that time in your life? Reflecting on it recently, I said, I was a lucky duck. <laughs> I was a lucky duck, even despite this. And my father, unfortunately, did not handle becoming a widower very well. So I was even more independent than other children that age. But I was so lucky to be in a place where I could count on knocking on any door if necessary. I mean, there was always food in the house. The bills were always paid. It was never an economic question. But as far as presence and so forth, I was self-guided. That's what I was doing. But I had the opportunity to be curious and watch and listen and to reject and accept. Who was your role model when you were growing up? Oh, my goodness. I think teachers. There was a wonderful family who lived in one of the apartments near us, the Hoffmans. And they were remarkable. I would say that they were my second set of parents and their children, their daughters were like sisters. So I was very, very fortunate there. But there was always a place to be safe. And as far as role models, teachers, Florence Fellini, grade six, God bless, you know, it's uh, fortunately, I'm sure she's not alive to this day, but she was a remarkable woman. She made us independent, curious, forward-thinking Of course, there were consequences, but I can't recall anyone going to the principal. That was not acceptable. It just wasn't. And I think it had more to do with disappointment because her standards were so high. Let's fast forward to you becoming a mom yourself. How did motherhood change you, Maureen? I think about how grateful I am every day. I have two wonderful children and a terrific husband. Watching my daughter, Adrian, it was remarkable. It was just every day. I know, I know, Colleen, not so different. You just think, how lucky am I that every day I have this? And then two years later, Michael, it's just everything about it, watching her grow and softening. That was the other part. It gives you pause to step back and say, what's important here? What's a priority? And reading even with my, my little grandson, he pulled up next to me and tapped me the other day and, you know, he brought, dragged a book along. So it's, uh, you know, what's the impact that you have? And now when I'm reading with him, I remember all of the characters, the voices, and my husband will look at this and he'll say, wow, what a memory. And my son, even my daughter will say, wow, I, you know, I forgot. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, it is an opportunity to revisit and to say, yeah, grateful. What is your message to women listening to this interview about kickstarting their lives after divorce, after enduring a hardship like a loss or an illness, or just plain re-entering after raising Mm. kids? Mm. Give us some advice. I think at the top of the list is don't be afraid because fear is what stops us. It can motivate us. It truly can. But at the end of the day, when you say, what's the worst that can happen? Maybe it just happened. How can we say... Let's substitute being nervous for being excited, and you can fail. And if you have children, what do we tell our children? Try it. Try it. See if you like it. Last three questions. We ask everybody who sits where you are today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? 
depends. It used to be push, push, push. And now I really have learned that sometimes push is great. Sometimes pivot is great. 15 minutes at a time absolutely is a way to manage just about anything. Set a timer. See how far you get. If you want to continue beyond that, go for it. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? It can Uh, be personal or professional. Can you pass that on? Sometimes it seems so trite. At the end of the day, it's don't be afraid and be curious and be kind. That's another part. Be kind. Final question. Right now, Maureen, in this chapter of your life, how do you define success? How fortunate, how blessed we are every day to get up. How blessed we are every day to have work that we enjoy. How grateful to be in a space where we can do and have an impact and make a difference and work with individuals, uh, whether they are young people in volunteer work that I do, to uh, you know adults who are clients, and saying, what is the opportunity and how can we embrace it? I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story today on the story behind her success. Thank you. And that's the story behind her success for this week. My thanks to my longtime friend, Maureen Wisner, co-founder and managing partner of Kickstart Your Transition, a boutique career consulting firm. Find out more about the great work they do, kickstartyourtransition.com. Thank you for listening. I'm always on the lookout for the next person to profile. So if you know someone that I should feature on the show, will you please just reach out and nominate her today? Just go to candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.